Here we are at the end of our second full day and night of practice. Still early days in this retreat, journey. It was an honor to check in with uh, many of you today and hear authentic words, which is, for me at least, so rare in the world today, but authentic words coming out of awareness, honest words. to articulate what can't really be articulated, but to sound a conscious connection with experience and a speaking that was being consciously received and heard. Always inspires me, gives me hope. (coughs) Hope for the world, something in speaking truth, receiving truth, that uh, listening it connects me to the wonderful collective courage and wisdom and compassion that we, that we have within us, but which oftentimes isn't invited, isn't given space to manifest. So I was pleased that to listen in, to recognize a lot of really good effort, also to recognize the the exhaustion many of us are (coughs) are with. You know, for some people, oh, yeah, fine for you, go sit on your butt, spirit rock, peace, World's burning. What are you doing about it? And the, the irony is, yes, there's a lot that needs to be done, but sometimes when our action is, is compulsive, even if it's right, it, it cannot be in tune and can end up unconsciously generating more conflict. But that this effort to connect with the, the sacred, mysterious ground that all this is happening in, when we listen, as we delve into the listening, within that listening manifests our body, our feelings, our moods, the world, those around us, everything when we're abiding with taking refuge in dharma, in this mysterious suchness of having a body with sensations and feelings and impulses, then when there's a connection, an abiding with what is, what is manifested from that, is, a, is, a, is an action that's rooted in truthfulness. 
might look so simple from the outside. Oh, just being at peace. As our teacher Ajahn Chah would say, hey. <laughs> this is difficult. Because it's like um, walking into a hurricane in a world that's so addicted to distraction. And sometimes we avoid experiencing these currents of attraction and aversion. It's not easy. And when we consciously place ourselves in this limitation, cultivating silence and really limiting our distraction and being with sitting and walking and listening. And as one of our dear colleagues in our monastic life says, whoa, you get eyeball to eyeball with your karma, eyeball to eyeball with what we've set into motion, our habits. And that's not easy. But it's so important because it illumines brings to the light, helps us see what's moving us. And as we little by little recognize through the strengthening of these uh, spiritual faculties with Jaya so beautifully laid out last night, our deepening of our trust, our faith to, to be with how it is, the energy arising to, to, to urge us to make a connection, make the effort to stay present, to cultivate this mindfulness that as it becomes more continuous, flowers into a, a stability, what's called samadhi, a gatheredness. And when the mind is composed, the Buddha said, it sees things the way they are, the composed mind. When it looks into something, there's revelation that we're seeing clearly. Wisdom, then we're freed from distorted ideas. So there's this talk of this journey, this journey from confusion to understanding, from suffering to the endings of suffering, from distortion to tasting, abiding in peace. We talk about a journey, but it's a way of talking, so I'd like to to begin just to remind us that we're not actually going somewhere. Actually, that Ironically, that idea of having to get somewhere is part of the engine of samsara, that endless wandering where we never quite arrive. That sense of, oh, it's not quite right here, but once I get rid of this and get rid of that and get over there, you know, past this, this grumpy mind and this stingy mind and this shameful, lustful mind, and, and the, the, then I'll get to, to ease and peace. The irony is this when we really take in deeply into heart that we've got to get somewhere, we look too far. 
when the Buddha awakened, in a way it was a bit shocking. He realized he didn't actually attain something. He recognized a timeless unshakable, luminous, undying dimension of reality that's always here and now. Not a question of getting it, attaining it, waking up. Which is quite subtle because the the idea that we're impoverished, we've got to get it, and sometimes keep leading us to seeking. So just remembering all our efforts. It's not that we're going somewhere else. This effort is encouraging us to be here and now more and more fully. To trust. All the treasures are here. It's not that they're somewhere else. Peace is within us. The Buddha called it the original brightness. Or he would say, this heart is luminous. This heart, this this awareness is luminous. But we, we lose touch with that when we're confused by what's moving through the heart. What is moving through the heart right now? The Sunday, second ending of the second full day, the Sunday evening, Kitty Sorrow Dharma talk. Touching our heart right now. The sights, the sounds, sensations of of our body any thoughts, moods that we might have. When we're so mesmerized by the forms, the opinions, the liking, the not liking, that's moving through the heart, we lose touch. In fact, it even maybe seems invisible and not even real because the real stuff is the tangible stuff one can grab. One can lose touch with it. All of this is happening, arising and dissolving. Every sound is coming and going within this presence, this listening, this awareness, this ever-bright, undying suchness. So I just remind us in our efforts that it's, it's not so much we're getting somewhere else, encouraging us, so that our faith, our trust more and more learns to allow ourselves more and more to relax and be here with what's pleasant and unpleasant. famous teaching of the Buddha referring to this lead horse which uh, in our 
drawing our chariot in the spiritual faculties, where Jaya was encouraging us to remember this mindfulness, sati. And when mindfulness is really valued and stayed with, it becomes a pamada, a kind of dedication to mindfulness. Famous teaching of the Buddha is mindfulness is the path to the deathless. The mindful never die. Heedlessness is the path to death. The heedless are as if dead already. This practice non-judgmental, patient, returning again and again to conscious connection with the body, the feelings, the moods, the phenomenon. This mindfulness guides us more and more into communion with recognition of this ever-present timeless principle. Mindfulness is the path. The phrase the Buddha used is ekayana maga, that this mindfulness is the pathway back to this core, to this oneness, this eka, this unified place. Heedlessness is the path to death when we're just unconscious. We, without any mindfulness, we make assumptions about and we grab on to health and then when we get sick, we feel devastated. We grab on to success and when things aren't going so well, we, we die, we feel let down. When we're heedless, we, we're unconscious. The heedless are as if dead already. When we're not really mindful, we're, we're not really present for our life. So we've been practicing this. We'd like to encourage us tonight. I want to talk a little bit about how mindfulness, when it's developed moments, moments of being mindful of our posture, being mindful of walking steps, being mindful of breathing in and breathing out, and then we lose it. We're worried about this, wondering how much progress we're making, thinking, God, oh, didn't I make more p- progress last time? I mean, I mean, bless their hearts, Kitty Saron, Tanisha, and, and, and Jaya, and Sibani. I mean, they're all fine, but, but you know, I mean, they're not masters. Um, we find ourselves, we're thinking about this or that, and then we come back, have another moment of mindfulness. Our teacher described it that at first the mindfulness is in like drops, drop, drop. And we get distracted. That's why it's so important to, without getting into a rage or feeling devastated, beginning again. Another moment, another moment, patiently, humbly receiving all this distraction, not hating it, but being grateful. It's the nature of the mind's revealing itself. But then these drop, 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 
will get the experience then of a flow, what Jaya was calling a continuum, a continuity. And as moments of mindfulness flow together, they flower into what's called samadhi, important word in the Buddha's teaching, samadhi. Sometimes translated as concentration. I think that's a little bit of an unfortunate word, concentration, because sometimes the connotation it gives for me is, is really like a laser beam. And, you know, there's a place for laser-like concentration, but when we think it has to be narrow, focused like that, sounds a little bit like an ice pick. Sometimes when we think, oh, God, and we see these different movements of life, we can just get stressed out even just thinking for a moment of concentration. But I like better maybe concentric, Concentric circles have a center, but there's still recognition of the periphery. Concentric is, is more related to a notion of gathered, centered, stable, collected, unified. When the Buddha was asked, well, what is, constant, what is samadhi? His short definition was chittekagata. Chit, the heart, eka. The heart's unified. The heart and these dimensions of our being, these main dimensions, this thinking part of us, which sometimes called speech, but we speak what we think. It's the head, the thinking part the bodily part, the physical, the aware, the feeling part. Chittekagata means that all of it is gathered within. All of us is together. We're not just lost in the thoughts and we've left the body somewhere and we bang into a tree or hit a wall, stub our toe. I stubbed my toe tonight. And that's very humbling, what a little toe can, can bring a big sensation, but <laughs> thank you, thank you, you know, talking about the profound nature of the past stub. <laughs> thank you, toe. Chitta kagata. And the Buddha gave us some tips about how to develop this gatheredness. So we're working with being with, sitting and walking, our activities, standing, lying down, being with the breathing. And there's certain, this might sound a little technical, so I'll touch into it. If it's useful, great. If it's not, just, just, just let it go. But these are the, the supports for cultivating this gatheredness. 
I'll touch into them tonight. And this, this is important. It's patient work, but it's difficult work. When the Buddha looked at the whole path, he talked about the foundation is ethics, mindfulness of our actions like being harmless, is like we said on the open night, is a gift to others, freedom from fear, hostility, and oppression, which eventually frees us from fear. That foundation leads to the ground that it's easier to do what we're doing here, uh, cultivating samadhi, this central part of the path, this, this gatheredness. And then when the heart is gathered, when it turns to look at the nature of reality, the nature of things, it sees clearly. For example, if you have a cast iron stove that's been heated for hours, you drop a drop of water on that stove, it's there, drop it on the stove, disappears. Drop another drop, a beautiful drop, maybe it splashes into four drops, it's gone. When the heart is composed. Then when sounds come, we recognize that they're there and gone. We see their ephemerality, their ungraspability. Um, A worry might come, oh, I just don't know what to do about this. When the heart's composed, we're in touch with it, we can respond to it, but we see it's, it's, it's dissolving. We can learn from it, but we realize it's not our whole nature. The composed heart sees the ungraspability, doesn't get contracted by things that move through it. So wisdom arises quite easily from the composed heart. But the Buddha said this activity of cultivating steadiness is is challenging. A great Thai master compared it to building a bridge. I've never built a bridge. I'm going to have to take his word for it. He said, if you're building a bridge across a, a river, that the pylon, the pillars of support, three of them, one right in the middle, two near the, in the shallows, on the near side and the far side, Where the current is not so strong, the pylon's not so difficult to ground. In a way, for example, virtue is is quite tangible. Yes, it's all challenging, but it's it's tangible to little by little refrain from harming, for example. And once the heart is composed, wisdom, seeing things clearly, actually happens naturally. But that middle pylon, right through the deepest part of the river where the current is strongest, to develop stability, to really ground that pylon, that support pillar down through the current, is difficult. Similarly, today, as we're cultivating steadiness, we're, we're, we're facing, we're experiencing these currents of wanting and not wanting and 
thinking about this and thinking about that and hoping for this and remembering that. But I encourage us, be really patient because this is an important work. The Buddha talked about the blessings of this cultivation of steadiness. It's useless. Don't be in too big a hurry. That was one of my big sicknesses, being in a big hurry. I realize now that was, I mean, it's good enough motivation, but it was a mistake. Even if little by little by little, over the weeks, the days, the weeks, the months, we little by little practice learning to relax, to be present, to gather our whole being with a breath, with a step, with listening to a sound, that little by little it accumulates. He said the first important blessing of this practice is we're learning to cultivate a pleasant abiding in the here and now. Even if you don't feel very good at it, we're learning to develop the skill of how to discover a refuge, an easeful, pleasing abiding that's not dependent on having the right sights, the right sounds, the perfect conditions. We're, we're developing an abiding that's rooted from within. second blessing of cultivating this is called knowledge and vision as our samadhi gets really stronger intuitions can arise we will just seem to know things on a more mundane level when the heart is more composed when we when we turn it to something we're not just taking someone else's opinion not just what other people have said when we turn it to a sensation or to an object or to a person, there's, there's, we're connected. Revelation. We're really receiving. The third blessing is that for the sake of mindfulness and vigilance, th- this practice uh, helps us be present for our life. And finally, this this samadhi liberates us when it's turned to look at the way things are. But back to this pleasant abiding. This is a true holiday. You know, we can be we can be so focused with talking about cell phones and things like that, and you go to the airports and, and buses and. Everyone's always getting all this information and noticing it can be a real panic on losing the charge. So, you know, people can try to find places to plug in. And now more and more places allow you to kind of plug in 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 different places. And that's wonderful. Plug in. 
Don't forget to recharge the samadhi practice is us plugging in to the cosmos. Big time important. This is a real holiday. Even in moments, learning to plug in rather than thinking, you know, I've got to see this, I've got to hear this, got to know this. It's endless. But in a moment to turn the attention That's what viveka means. That means letting be for a moment, letting be and just turning the attention to this body, to this breath, a long breath, a relaxing on a long out breath. The world, we're chewing up the resources. We're addicted to more and more exciting and complicated things and okay. But as we cultivate this practice we learn to to be access, fullness, joyfulness, ease, healing and restoration, appreciating a breath a sound, presence itself. The tips, the supports for this, what the Buddha called vitaka vichara. Vitaka means an applied thought, a thought. Is a friend. I know we think, what do you mean a friend? I wish I could cut my head off and just roll it down the aisle to the other side of the room. (laughs) Let them deal with it. (laughs) Yes, when thoughts, you know, get out of control, it's so wonderful when the mind stops. But just to hate thought is, is not skillful. The first profound, what's called jhana, the first profound level of peace, still has thought in it. Vitaka vichara, but a certain kind of thought which I want us just to encourage us to develop. Just gently feel into this for those who this is new to. It's a thought, a certain kind, it's not just proliferation, which is the kind of thought that ties us into knots, but it's a thought that reminds us, it directs our attention here, now. Notice if I'm uh, you know, a thought can uh, direct us, you know, back to where I grew up, that, that property has just been sold in Tennessee and to my dear mother and father who've just who've passed on. Or thoughts of the future of how's the retreat going to go and then where are we going to live and, oh, will, will it be, will we find a place, go to the future? But notice a thought, what about a thought that what's happening now? Here, sitting, breathing. A thought that directs our attention is helpful. Now sometimes we have that more yang aspect of directing the attention. But the Buddha always associated it. This is a support for our 
samadhi practice. He associated it with what's called vichara or evaluation. It's not writing an essay, but it's feeling into, it's receiving. So the, the, the vitaka points us, it directs us, that's really useful, but it's, a, it's always combined with vichara, receiving. Now, sometimes in our culture, we, we do a lot of directing. Get over there. Do it. Come on, mind. <laughs> Throw another cup of coffee in there and do it. <laughs> and, okay, there's good A for effort. You know, there's good attention. But when it doesn't have vachara, it's, it's just so willful. The image that always comes to my mind, I... I remember someone that visited the, the monastery who was just talking at me, talking at me, talking at me, talking at me. And, you know, he occasionally asked me something, but he never let me answer. <laughs> and he said, well, it was really great talking to you. And I, and I, I felt pinned to the wall. So one can direct the attention, say breath, But if one just goes, breath, 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 the breath and then receiving, the more feminine, receptive. And of course, yes, if we just drift off, then a little directed thought. Now, we train this mind, so rather than hating thought, the Buddha encouraged us how to cultivate this moderation of thought. So the tool that we used in Thailand, but you can find your own way and you don't have to do this, but it it can be very helpful and I just feel my duty to share the tips the Buddha gave. For example, we use the, 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 used to use the mantra in Thailand of Bhutto when you're watching the breathing, being with the breathing. Bhutto means Buddha. But Bhutto means not the historical Buddha. It means this Buddha, this wakeful one. So breathing in, you'd think Bud, breathing out to. Or breathing in quietly, breathing out Bhutto. It's like a wake. It takes a while to get used to this, but using a word lightly, I call it moderating thought. So rather than thinking big essays, this thought, like Bhutto, you can use another word, you can use Kuan Yin, which means the one who listens to the sounds. Or you can use the word let go, the phrase. It reminds us to be present, but to be present in a easeful way, to allow things to come and go. You can find your own phrase and hold it really lightly, not like a sledgehammer, knocking things aside, but to, for example, Bhutto. There might be all sorts of thoughts, that's all right. Don't have to take your machine gun out. But just a quiet Bhutto. So it's engaging the cognitive faculty. 
But rather than getting lost in proliferations, it just directs us to the present, to wakefulness. It's a bit like we have these ferocious rainstorms in KwaZulu-Natal, where we live. And when the rain comes down and you're caught out driving, it's intense. Praise the Lord for windshield wipers. (laughs) But the windshield wiper comes for a second, you can see. Then, then it goes back. Butoh works like that. <laughs> this is an original. <laughs> but, you know, all this stuff's coming, and you don't have to fight, you don't have to hate the rain, attack the rain, but, like, we can sometimes be assailed by all sorts of thoughts, but bud. And especially as we hold the word so lightly, we hear that phrase hit and then dissolve. So the phrase is there and then it dissolves, but we're still present. So we're starting to get the feeling for thought as a tool rather than me. It's a tool. We've used this sometimes before. Have you ever talked to yourself when you're doing something delicate, threading a needle or something, or you're, you know you want to be careful, and so the thought's just reminding you, steady, steady. It's a thought that's there, but it's not interfering. It's encouraging. So I encourage us to, you know, some people, oh, it, that just confuses me. That's all right. You don't have to do anything. But it's a very useful way of little by little learning to train the heart with simple thoughts that direct us. And that thought as it's there and it's gone reminds us then to receive the moment. Those thoughts like Bhutto or Konyin or your own phrase, let go. Even the subtle thought, breathing in, breathing out. So that can help us. Obviously, there comes a time when you don't need to have the thoughts and and they'll naturally drop away and one can be more profoundly present. But don't too quickly hate thinking. Another quality, which is a very important one that I want to mention there's a support for cultivating samadhi. It's, trans- it's called pitti. It's translated as rapture. And sometimes that word is just, oh God, rapture. Now he's going to talk about getting lifted off somewhere. <laughs> or, you know, okay, some ecstatic state, and that's definitely not what I'm having. And so sometimes we can think, lean too far to some state we think it should be. But I would like to encourage us to reflect on the seed of rapture, of of this quality. It it means a fullness. Yes, it it can blossom into ecstatic states. But the attitude where it grows, we can practice. You don't just have to, I've been waiting for the rapture for years. I don't know. You can practice it by being interested in, 
by savoring even the sensations that are painful. This samadhi practice is the healing dimension. And rather than trying to rush it, we work with what's here when we bring the attention to this moment. And if the body is exhausted, distressed, our sympathetic nervous systems for most of us are really activated all the time. So we can come to unpleasant sensation rather than just creating aversion to it and trying to skip ahead to rapture. That's a little bit like being in the bathtub and seeing the ripples and thinking, no, 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 I want to see it smooth. And so we pat down that ripple. We pat that one down and pat that one down. And then we've got a real storm. Aversion to discomfort just creates more. It's what the Buddha called the second arrow. We can actually learn to direct the attention and then even if it's painful or exhausted, just like a mother in her better moments, <laughs> she's, mothers are human. But in the, in the better moments, if a child is distressed, you don't just, come on, snap out of it. One, one cradles. One cares for the distress. Holds it. Breathes with it. We can breathe with receive, savor even the, the tiredness, the agitation. Savor it, receive it, be filled with it. And that's how the energy little by little wells up, restores. That's what I mean by plugging in, recharging. Not, and especially these first few days, that's why we encourage a lot just to keeping really simple moments of mindfulness, moments, and really being patient with the discomfort. Yes, adjusting, not torturing ourselves, resting when we need to, but even when we're resting, practice appreciating the support of the bed, but then still staying with the sensation. Breathing into them. And that's accompanied by what's, what's called sukha or ease. It's a very important, rather than just trying to get to samadhi, gatheredness happens when there is this directing with a thought, like here now. Breathing in, breathing out, receiving this, what's called pity, or savoring this, this appreciating the sensations, then relaxing, 
ease means relaxing, learning to be happy with. What? Yes. Oh, I don't know. The attitude is so important. You know, what are you talking about? Well, look, we live on this ancient sacred mountain in South Africa. It's an amazing mountain. Incredible storms, and, but climbing it is a tough thing. There's no real path. So it's, a, it's tough. And it can take, you know, a few hours, you know, discomfort, this and that, watching where you're stepping, trying to make sure you don't step on a puff adder. That keeps you awake. <laughs> Even though it's arduous, there can be enjoyment. Even with discomfort. Even with fatigue. One can receive it. Be willing. Yet sometimes you, even just to walk 20 paces. Oh God, do I really have to? You don't want to do something. You can just be so grumpy. You can climb a mountain that's so difficult and enjoy it, even though it's difficult. Yet sometimes even just to go clean up something you don't want to. Again, this this attitude. It's why the name Kuan Yin is so important, listening at ease to the sounds of the world, to the feeling tones of the world. So that really helps. That's why kindness, aversion, and really makes the job of samadhi, of cultivating this Skillful, pleasing, abiding in the here and now. Aversion doesn't help. I declared a war on clocks for years in my monastic life, and I lost. (laughs) Every sound. Once in a long three-month retreat, the abbot comes in with this clanging, ticking clock. I cannot believe it. (laughs) What is he doing? Every, you know, every second I get peaceful and at least it seemed like it. So in between sessions, I surreptitiously put soft cloths under the clock, tried to cover it, even tried to shift quiet clocks. Kitty sorrow. Yes, it's good to try to make things as conducive as possible, but that aversion made my samadhi so fragile. So the Buddha encourages us to learn to be patient with sounds and sights and sensations, the senses, to be kind, to withstand, to appreciate, to be at ease with. Uh, basically, I just want to encourage everybody to keep going. The best we can. Explore if you wish. Just using a quiet thought to remind us, to savor, 
to relax and to remember we're not going somewhere else. We're more and more learning to be here where we've always already been. To recognize each sound and experience comes and goes. And that we can always begin again. And that as we deepen our trust, we can remember that the, the wise ones have said, peace is not somewhere else, it's right here within us. And don't hate the difficult experiences. As our teacher said, they are, rather than hating them, they're teachers. They ennoble us. As we go deeper into the retreat, they're called noble truths. Suffering is a noble truth, not to be hated. When we'd be complaining about our suffering, Ajahn Chah would say, huh? If it was so bad, why would the Buddha call it a noble truth? So just to be kind and patient. And be encouraged that the Buddha said, our destiny is to wake up because it's our nature. Thank you for your attention.